Our sermon text reading today is from Acts 1, 4 through 8, and chapter 2, 1 through 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on one of them, on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Happy New Year, Bladed. This is our first Sunday in New Year, actually. Um, Hey, it feels appropriate that we start a new series fresh here in a new year. I'm really excited about it. Um, I want to put a plug in because the series is called Gifts, and we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts over the next six weeks. And and so we have that slide, and uh, let's put it back on. Do we have the slide again for the training coming up here? Yes, no, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Okay, so there it is. Okay, so it's the only time I'm telling you you can use your phone during my sermon. All right, so how many of you have already taken the spiritual gifts assessment? Let me see a show of hands. All right, not bad, not bad. Maybe 25%. Now, I'm not going to have the rest of you show your hands for who hasn't, but unless you're visiting with us, we desperately want you to make sure you get assessed. Now, by the end of the sermon, if you're sitting on the fence saying, How important is it that I do this? By the end of the sermon, I can almost guarantee you're going to say, oh, it's very important. Okay? So, if you haven't already taken it, I want you to go ahead and, like, save it and then do it, not during my sermon, but afterwards, okay? We're going to talk about the gifts, but I don't want you to actually find out what your gifts are in the next 45 minutes, okay? Um, Actually, it won't be that long. More like 35. But anyway, the point being is, please do that. Now, today, we're starting not with spiritual gifts. We're starting with a gift giver, Holy Spirit. You know, it's been said that in our tradition, which is theologically reformed, that our trinity is as follows, the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That we, we give short shrift to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to make a confession. I think that's true at City Church as well. So the buck stops with me. And so part of what today is about is about repenting of that. It is, a, is about coming back to the Holy Spirit and, and celebrating who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. You know, if you, and a lot of people do this, you know, some of you know I do CrossFit and at the gym, like there were like 20 people in my class this past Friday because it's New Year's resolutions. Now we'll see how many are there at the beginning of February. But you know, what do you do when you're, when you have a muscle that you haven't worked in a while on in deficiency? Like you go to it, you work on it. And that's what I want to do today with you. So I want to talk with you about the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk with you about the Holy Spirit, not as just something that happened historically 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, but something that's happening now 
in our lives as we sit here in Atlanta in the beginning of 24. I want you to see the Holy Spirit. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit. I want you to meet the Holy Spirit. And and so I invite you into that. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to talk about two things as it regards the Holy Spirit. First, we're going to see a promise of the Father fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. So a promise fulfilled, then second, a people filled. And it wasn't just the people that were filled in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It was you and me being filled by the Holy Spirit. You, you want in on that? You ready for this? Great. So I've got like one sermon to talk about the Holy Spirit. I could do a whole series, so I'm not going to hit everything. I know some of you have questions that are going to be raised by this, and uh, you can find me later on. But let me just start now. By the way, I am going to do a series around Pentecost on the Holy Spirit, uh, just so you know. But that's five months from now. So now the introduction here. Let's look at chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to put your, your history caps on. You know I like to do that periodically. Today's one of those days. So um, the history is this. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It's the first mention of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is mentioned there as hovering over the chaos. Now, if you're with us late fall, early winter, I talked a little bit about that, didn't I? About how the Spirit is hovering is the sign that into the chaos God is about to speak. And so part of the role of the Spirit is to bring order to places of chaos. Now, they had an, an awareness in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they had an awareness that the Holy Spirit existed. And they would have known from the Scriptures that periodically... Uh, the Holy Spirit was alive and at work in people's hearts and that sort of thing. But, but very few people, very few people actually experienced the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But when you get to the prophets, they begin to talk about the Spirit in a different way. People like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And we read earlier from Joel. Now let me reread to you a couple of verses from the prophet Joel. Joel is talking about exile. Israel's in exile because of their sin and disobedience. But in this passage... He says, look forward to a new time, a new age, the dawning of something new. Here's what he says. Listen, he says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, I want you to hold on to those words here, okay, because we're going to come back to them. We're going to see how specifically at Pentecost, God fulfills that specifically, okay? That he pours out his spirit. Um, we're going to show that here in a second. But when you fast forward and you get to the New Testament before this passage, you get to John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Jesus. And he says this in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. People are beginning to wonder, based on his ministry, hey, might he be the Messiah? Listen to what happens here. As people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will, wait for it, baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. Now, with that history in mind, coming now to this passage, Jesus has been resurrected. He's about to ascend. Verse 9 that we're not looking at. He's about to ascend. And so in this 40-day period, Jesus has been training and discipling further 
his disciples before he's about to ascend to the Father's side. And, and what's happening here is two things. Here's, here's how the promise is being fulfilled in two ways. First, the presence of God is coming and will reside with you for always. So the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, means that the promise that God will be with us for all times has happened. What were the very last words of Matthew's Gospel, if you remember? The Great Commission, remember? Make, make disciples, go into all the world and baptize. Make, and remember the very, literally, the very last words of the very last verse. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, how was Jesus going to make fulfillment on that promise? Well, it happens right here. And he says, hey, look, wait for it. Stay in Jerusalem because it's about to happen. It's about, about to happen. And I, and I want you to now see with me Pentecost. Now, I'm going to come back to the end of the sermon on the meaning of Pentecost. I'm going to hold it for a second, not to give that to you right now. But now listen in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. This is a picture of the Spirit coming to someone's life as the wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If the Spirit hovers over chaos in the original creation, scientists, uh, if you were to, to survey scientists and they, you say, hey, how did the world come into to being? A lot of them would say, well, probably something like a Big Bang. You've heard that term probably. It's a very popular theory. The big, that suddenly there was nothing and suddenly there's this massive explosion. That's putting it nicely. Like, like this just explosion of life suddenly into the universe. The universe being created, not into the universe, the universe, right? And then into the universe. That sort of thing like that. This is the Big Bang of new creation. That's what's happening here. This is new Genesis, new creation that's happening here. This violent wind. I'm going to come back to that here in a second. New Genesis, as it were. Now, Scott, what do you mean by, though, by there's, there's a promise that's being fulfilled here, the presence of God, and it's the word fire. Now, fire symbolically is used in Scripture in one of two ways, typically. First, as a purification. So, Hebrews chapter 12 God is an all-consuming fire. It's a picture of that. And then you can you look at the, the burning bush in the beginning of Exodus. Consuming, right? And then you see the fire on top of Mount Sinai. But the other image I want to give to you now is an Exodus. It's the Exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom towards the promised land. How did God lead the Israelites? Do you remember? Smoke by day or cloud, then what by night? Fire. In the darkness, not knowing where they were in a wilderness, in a desert, where to go, fire. And so, one of this purification, but the, I think what's at stake here in the presence of God is fire. And the fire comes to rest upon them. Now, here's what's fascinating. Remember I said, hold on to words in Joel. Remember what Joel says. Joel, remember, they would have said, oh, I've heard about the Spirit. And some people, David... Few others maybe had the spirit. That sort of the prophets definitely feel like they're they're full of the spirit because they're doing weird things out in the wilderness, uh, that sort of thing like that. But what did Joel say? 
Joel said everyone gets the Spirit. When, when new creation happens, when the Messiah comes, everyone gets the Spirit. What happens? Now, we don't have it right here because I, we're not reading all of chapter 1, but there were 120 people. They're gathered in this room in Jerusalem when Pentecost, when the Spirit comes in this wind, right? And, and so I want you to think about when the fire comes and he says it's as of, not literal, I mean as of, it's metaphorical, as a fire resting upon each of them, like a flame is what it looked like to them visually. And here's what's fascinating about that. We believe in ordination, of course, here at City Church. There, uh, I've been set apart as an elder, uh, teaching elder. We have teaching elders here, ruling elders. We uh, deacon, we, we set apart. Okay, But I'm not talking about that sort of ordination now, being set apart. I'm talking about the set-apartness that every Christian in this room has received. Because who receives? It's not just the disciples. Did you Think about that for a second. Maybe you thought, because I didn't give you the rest of the passage, you thought, oh, the Holy Spirit came to the disciples in the upper room. No. Yes, but no. 120 were there. The servants that Joel spoke of. He says, your men will dream dreams and have visions. More on that in a second as well. But so the, the promise is coming true. That the democratization of God's love into the world. This is the revolution that we've been waiting for. That everyone has access to God. That God's presence, that He no longer is He's separate from you, but now He's with you, He's in you, indwelling you. This is the promise coming true. But here's the second promise that comes true here. And it's to reverse the curse of sin. You say, where do you see that here? Well, it's in the word tongues. Now, as you might suspect, talking about spiritual gifts, some of you are saying, what about speaking in tongues? That sort of thing. Well, that's a different word, actually. This is not the, that's 1 Corinthians chapters 12-14. through 14. We're going to get to that next week and beyond. But not today. Tongues here means language. And if we were to read on beyond verse 5 and beyond, you, all the nations are gathered in Jerusalem. That's because this is an annual pilgrimage where people from all of it's one of three, where all over the world, people come to Jerusalem for this great festival that we call Pentecost, is originally called Shavuot. And, and so they, they come, and suddenly in this room, these non-educated Galilean fishermen and, and blue-collar workers and others suddenly are speaking multiple languages. And they're speaking their languages. And if we went on, we'd see that they're actually speaking the gospel. It says in verse 5 and beyond, they're saying, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who's resurrected. And these people begin to come to faith. We see in beginning in chapter 2 and beyond. Here's the point. This is the dawning of a new age that God is working. Dennis Johnson, in his book, The Message of Acts, he said this, It would be easy to conclude from the state of the world, the state of the church, or the state of our own behavior, that nothing significant happened in the months after Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. But in fact, that was the beginning of the end of the old process of things falling apart. It was the beginning of a new beginning, the dawn of the last days. It is easy to look at our lives, isn't it? And to say, or look at the world. Look at the headlines. Look at look what's happening in the Middle East, of course. You know, I mean, how many of you feel on edge coming into the new year? I mean, you know, but as I've said before, it's always been happening. We just know more about it because of social media and the digital age. But the fact is, we come in here feeling anxious, maybe. 
And, and it would be easy to look at the world and saying, God, where are you? What Johnson is saying is that this is the beginning of a change. That the, the falling of the Spirit is the promise that He will complete what He started. He is not done. We look at this world and we know that. We look at our lives and, and we know that. But He has begun a new process in us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He started a new process in you, which is part of the reason why you need to know your spiritual gifts. More on that in a second. But this is the promise. Now, what do we do with this then, practically, in response? I think that, I think in the modern Western world, most of us in here, our concept, our conception of God is primarily a deistic one. Now, what is deism? Thomas Jefferson famously and others believed in, in a deistic God. Here's a deistic God. I believe there is a God, theoretically, but functionally, it makes no difference in my life. And, and maybe God did something. Maybe he was like Aristotle's unmoved mover. Maybe there was a God who wound up the universe. He brought it into existence. But I don't think God is interested in my life. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? It is to speak back into deism and to say, no, I'm very interested in your life. I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 15 and 16. One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, by the way, Romans 8. Like this summer, I'm going to come back to this. It's been so powerful in my own life. Listen to what he says in 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's, that's old ex, or before Exodus. That's Egypt. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, in the Aramaic, the original language of Jesus. It means daddy. It's the most intimate way to describe God as father. Abba. Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I came across a story recently of a Puritan, 17th century Puritan named Thomas Goodwin. Thomas Goodwin was a pastor in England. And in one of his sermons, he, he talks about, um, about being in the village one day, walking, and he, he watches this father walking with his son, hand in hand. And suddenly he says that the father scoops up his child, and holds him close to him and hugs him, whispers sweet things to him, I love you. And he puts him down and he begins to, to walk with him again, hand in hand. Now, Goodwin asked his congregation two questions. He said, first, when did the son experience the greatest amount of love from his father? He said, that's a bit of a trick question. It doesn't matter whether he's scooped up or whether he's just been holding his hand and walking along. He always is loved by the Father. But then, Goodwin says, well, let me change the question slightly. When did he feel the most loved by his Father? And when he put it that way, he's like, isn't it true that when, when the Father scoops him up and holds him close and tells him, you're loved, how much I love you, you're my beloved son. That it was in that moment that he experienced the depth in a way that he wouldn't perhaps otherwise. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. One of his roles. But as part of his role for you is to remind you that you're the beloved son. That you're the beloved daughter. In whom he's well pleased. Remember, I've said this over and over and over again in the past. The same thing 
that the Father says to Jesus, you are my Son in whom I am well pleased, He says to you. And how do you know that? How do you experience that? How do you feel that? It's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who imparts more than just the knowledge of faith, but the experience of faith. Now, we are not dependent upon, please hear me on this, we are not dependent upon a feeling or an experience to know that we belong to Him. But the Father has designed us as human beings to experience in our hearts and our souls the delight of being loved by a Father. And it is the Holy Spirit that does that, that brings you that assurance, that brings you that belonging. Now, I'm going to come back to how do we invite the Holy Spirit to allow us to experience more of that here at the very end. But I want you to see that this is the promise. The promise that I will be present with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. Here's the second thing. The promise is fulfilled, but then in doing so, He fills us secondly here. Let me show you here. In verse, verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1, listen to what it says there. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then listen to what it says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, again, going back there. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so now ten days later, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now let me show you three things, okay? Three things of how we are filled by the Holy Spirit. First two are right here in these two passages. First, we're filled with power. If you want to put a headline on what is the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really about an invasion into this world by God. Like, like the very first steps, you know, it's sort of like when, when, a, when an army uh, takes land and they take a, a beachhead, maybe. That's Jesus in his ministry. Jesus was actually the beachhead. But the full invasion of the army is what happens after the beachhead. That's Pentecost. I mean, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, how many people came to faith because of Jesus in his life? Shockingly, very few, actually. Think about it. I mean, he was still dealing with the disciples after the resurrection, as we can see from verse 6 here. He's still dealing with, like, they're still scattered and, and not sure of who they are and where they are and how they relate to Jesus here. I mean, Jesus, from a, from a human perspective, we would say, man, it looked like that was a lot of struggle. Yeah, it was. But when the Spirit comes, 120, thousands, millions, billions, you and me. This is the explosion. This is the invasion. And what you see in the book of Acts is it moves from 120 to begin thousands and then possibly tens of thousands by the end of the book of Acts. What you see is one power experience after another the miraculous healings, the the courage and the confidence to stand before tyrants and profess faith in the life of martyrdom, in in the the shadow of that, as it were. What what gives that strength? It's power. Not the world's power, right? Not the power of tyrants and of emperors, but the power of a king of kings and the Lord of lords who say, I want to start on the inside and turn you out. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. 
Tim Keller, who recently passed away just about eight months ago, pastor from New York. I love what he said in, 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 around this about power. He said, in our modern Western world, our tendency is to look outward at our culture and say, that's where the problems are. And in here, I have the inner resources to deal with the problems out there. He says, but Christianity says, no, you got it backwards. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And where does the power to deal with the inner problems deal? It comes from the outside in. What happens at Pentecost? What does it say in our text, actually? It says that power came from heaven down. It was from the outside coming in. The power of Jesus in your life is outside of you, and it comes into your life to change you from the inside out. And, and it's the fire, the fire that rests upon you that says, I am for you, I'm not against you, I'm present. But then remember the second symbol of the power, to sanctify you, to change you, to purify you, to change your, uh, first change your allegiance, as it were, and then after that to begin to change how you live your life, the behavior and so forth. Obedience to faith, given that gift. And, and, I, and, I, and I love this picture that we're given here because it leads to the second thing which is having received power, it begins to actually give you missional love for the world. Now, here's what's amazing. I have read the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. We actually read it uh, towards the beginning of Mark's gospel, if you remember, where Jesus steps into a synagogue and he opens the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read from it. Now, Luke captures in greater detail what he said there. I want to read in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, and then I'm going to tell you about how a penny dropped in my life this week. He says this, the Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus talking about as he begins his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I know historically this is how Jesus begins his ministry. And if you look at his life, then, of course, his death and resurrection, but certainly his life, you can say, oh, this is what he does. He's anointed. He's the Messiah. He's set apart, as it were, to proclaim these things here. And this is where the penny dropped on me as I was preparing to put this sermon together this week. I wasn't actually in a, in a commentary. I wasn't anywhere else. It just came to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never thought about these words before. That these words are for me as well. I've always treated these words as just for Jesus. But listen, if the Holy Spirit has come into your life, if the Holy Spirit is true, then you should be able to say these words as well. You say, well, hold on a second. Is that theologically accurate? Is that theologically true, Scott? Oh, yeah, it is. Remember, Jesus himself said, you're going to do far more than I did. He told the disciples that in one of the Gospels. He says, you're about to do far more. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. Far more people are reached. So listen, can you say with me these words? Like, these are not just the words of Jesus describing his ministry, but if the Holy Spirit has come and has brought power into our lives, it means what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see this is your mission? And the Holy Spirit has given you power for that mission. How so? I had to read verses 6 through 8. Remember I said in verse 6, you can see that Jesus is still dealing with disciples who don't quite get it. Remember, 
what's been happening. All the gospel accounts, you know, Mark in particular, we've been looking at that. And it seems like every other verse they're saying, hey, 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 when can we pick up swords? And, and hey, when are you going to give us the kingdom? And so here they are, right? Jesus has resurrected, right? And you can imagine Peter and company saying, man, okay, we were wrong. We didn't believe in you. And this is amazing. Now, surely now, you're now going to bring the kingdom to Israel. And you know, Jesus was like, okay, guys, here we go. Uh, back to class 101. And what does he say here? <laughs> what does he say? He's, he says, it's none of your business, uh, basically, when, when, when these things are going to happen. But then what does he say? He says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you outward. And, and he says, Jerusalem and Judea. And you know, as Jews, when they heard that, they're like, yep, awesome, great, let's, let's do this. And he says, and then Samaria. Oh, no, those are the half-breeds. That's, that's when the, the Jews intermixed with the pagans. And we don't like them. We call them dogs, actually. Yeah, well, I'm going to send you the Samaritans. And then to the other ends of the earth. Oh, those are just ranked pagans, period. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And remember... What happens later in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who is a pagan turned God-fearer, the text says. And remember what Joel said? Your young men will begin to, what? Dream dreams and have visions upon visions upon visions. What happens to Peter? Peter has a vision. What is in his vision? Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Peter, the Gentiles, I've made clean clean. And then Paul launches his ministry to the Gentiles. This is the book of Acts, friends. Don't you see? When the Spirit of God comes, He begins to stretch us. He begins to change us. Not just to the people that it's easy to love, but to the people that it's hard to love. And how do you know God's kingdom resides in you because you find that the resistance to sharing the love of Jesus with people that are hard to love begins to flounder. And instead, there's a new strength, a new love, a new mercy, a new compassion that comes to your heart for people who are not like you, socioeconomically, racially, culturally, politically. This is how we know that God is at work. This is how we know that deism is dead. This is how we know the Spirit is alive and well and fresh, all fresh Holy Spirit like wind and fire upon our lives because we begin to see that He's changing us from the inside out, that the wind is fresh and it is blowing and is reordering our loves here in the new year. Fills us with power. And, and then he, he rewards our love, missional love, outward facing. What is our mission statement here at City Church, right? It, it's, it's this growing people to love Atlanta through the power of Jesus Christ. Not the power of our education, not the power of our skills, but through the power of Jesus Christ. And now that missional love filling our hearts to grow people, what kind of people? All sorts of people. 
Maybe those who, who don't necessarily darken the door of a church and say, come and be part of what we're a part. Come and be part of the family of the Holy Spirit. And he reorders your loves. Don't you see, this is the work of Pentecost 2,000 years later today. And I think it leads to the last thing I want you to see here, the last giving of the gifts here, as it were, how he fills us here. It's only implied in this text. And that's okay, because we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at what's implied here in greater detail. And as he fills you with gifts. He fills you with gifts. Let me give you three, very quickly, reasons why he fills you with gifts. Number one, to build you up, to edify you, to encourage your heart. See, remember what I said? Some of you may be sitting on the fence. Ah, oh, I don't know if I really need to do that spiritual gifts assessment. Listen, you don't know how heaven wants to be unleashed in you until you know your gifts. Let me say that again. You will not know with confidence how heaven wants to be unleashed in your heart here on earth and in and through your life to the waking world. You simply will not know until you know what your gifts are because the Spirit has given you specifically those gifts for the purpose of changing your life, encouraging your heart, and then through your life to the world to build not only your life individually, but to build the church and through the church to the world. God says new creation is coming. It's coming through my church. I build my church. This is why the spiritual gifts are so important to understand. So first is to build you up. And then secondly, is to proclaim his glory, which comes naturally when you're aligned with his design. The more that you know who you are, now Christ has designed you, how the Holy Spirit has revealed to you the distinctives and the uniqueness of your, of your spiritual persona, as it were, through the spiritual gifts. The more that you understand it, the more aligned you are, the more naturally your life will sing His praise. The more natural your life will, will testify of His goodness to you. And the last thing there, it is to bring heaven down, but yes, to make heaven and earth one. Now, this is why I say that this is where I remember I said, I want to now tell you about Pentecost. See Pentecost, the word means 50, 50 days after Passover. Now Passover as is being celebrated by the Jewish people in Jerusalem that year and, and any other year for that matter was of course the reflection of the original Passover, which is what that is the escape from Egypt. Passover is a celebration that, that the angel of death has passed over. Right. And so the new Christians would have understood that they, they would celebrate that. But what is Pentecost? What is the correlation in the Old Testament? Rabbinical teaching and tradition held this, that it was Sinai. Now, what happened at Sinai? Remember, Passover happens. They, they leave Egypt. They're now in the wilderness. What's the big event that takes place out there? Torah, the Ten Commandments, the mediator Moses up on the mountain, Sinai. Where is God? God is in fire up on the top of Sinai. And Moses, the mediator, receives the Torah. This is God's law for God's people. And if they would simply obey, if they would simply follow it, they would experience salvation. They would experience reconciliation and redemption in Yahweh. And, of course, what do they do as Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments? Literally, what are the people doing? They're worshiping a golden calf. They're breaking the first of the commandments as the first commandments is being written on stone. Like, it's so ironic, as it were. And so what happens? Essentially, metaphorically, fire falls. The wrath of God falls. Okay, Scott, fine. What does that have to do with Pentecost in this room here in Jerusalem? How does the fire fall 
Pentecost. There's a little tongue of fire upon each and every one of them. Scott, I don't know. What are you getting at here? Moses is a mediator. But Moses was a sign of a greater mediator. And what would the greater mediator do? Like the burning bush, he would be consumed, but would not be forever destroyed. The fire of God's wrath falls upon Jesus Christ so that you might be set free. Exodus. And so the fire, the presence of God, you don't receive the fire of his wrath and indignation. You instead receive the fire of his warmth. This is I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm present with you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Don't you see? This is the Holy Spirit. This is why we need to repent. Repent of not knowing the Spirit. Not knowing the great gifts and the power and the love and the belonging that the Spirit gives us. So in closing, how how do you want to respond here in the new year? Two things. One, invitation. Invite him in. You say, wait a minute, Scott, I thought you just got through saying that the Spirit's already in me. I want you to invite him to go further up and further in. C.S. Lewis used a great analogy. He said, when you first become a Christian, it's sort of like God comes into your life, and let's say you're a cottage by the sea. It's a one-bedroom cottage. It's just you. And there's some maintenance, like we all do when we buy homes. There's some maintenance that needs to happen, some changes. And so you expect him to take a wall out uh, to do some maintenance work here and there. Those are things that you expect. But when God comes into your life, it's more like this. He said, it's, it's like suddenly you realize that the carpenter wants to do more work than you sign on for. And he begins to take many walls out. He takes the roof off. He puts on new extensions. And suddenly, no longer is it a cottage, but a mansion. It's a palace. And he says, I'm moving in. N.T. Wright put it this way. Be prepared for wind and fire, for some fairly drastic spring cleaning of the dusty and cold rooms of one's life. But we should not doubt that God will give his spirit to all who seek him and that the form and direction that any particular spirit-led life will take will be ultimately in assuming obedience and faith, the one that will enable that person uniquely to bring glory to God. When you invite the spirit in and say, come and dwell my heart and and my life, know this, that he will go to work to rebuild you. And it will stretch you. And there will be times you were saying, I didn't sign on for this. But you'll say, let me rebuild. Let me bang in the nails and put up the wood. And, and let me put on a new roof. And let me extend. And let me create beauty from this place and turn, and turn this into a gorgeous mansion, a city on a hill. Let me do this for you. And so here's the second thing. So the first is the invitation. Say, Come, Lord, and dwell me further. Take me further. The second thing here is this. He says, ask. You say, wait a minute, isn't that kind of like invite? Well, somewhat. But what asking for what? Prayer. I think prayer is one of those, I've, and I know I've said this so, so many times, prayer is one of those important practices of your life spiritually, is learning to pray, and here's why. Because we're told in Romans chapter 8 that it is the Spirit who intercedes for you. And so the more that you know the Holy Spirit, the more that you know know his role in your life, the more you will naturally say, I want to pray more. I want to learn how to be a prayer warrior in 24. I want to learn how to turn my life over to him. In in uh, preparing for this, I was sitting in prayer at 9 a.m. this morning, and there were like a dozen people around that table. I had this vision. 
I said that by the end of this year, we can't use this room anymore at 9 a.m. We can't use this room anymore. There's just not enough room. There are too many people praying. Too many people wanting the Holy Spirit to fall fresh upon us this year. Too many people asking that through our lives into the world, through our lives to the city of Atlanta and beyond, the power of God, the Holy Spirit to fall fresh. And so I have this vision, I have this prayer in my life that we become prayer warriors. Dennis Johnson said, this is what your life looks like. Again, same book. So there's a preoccupation, not with ourselves, our ailments, comforts, conveniences, and hurt feelings, but with a great cause of the king who walks in our midst. We ask to receive from his hand whatever will make us serviceable to him, useful for his saving purposes. We pray, not because we must, but because we may. Not out of lust for his gifts, but out of love for the giver. Not to bend his will to ours, but to bend our wills to his. Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon our congregation in 24. Come and dwell in us and abide in us in a way that we see people who are believers going further up and further in their faith. We see people who are not yet believers saying, I want to know your Lord. I want to know this one you call Jesus as Savior. I want to be redeemed. I want to experience in 24 new life. And for that to happen, not just in our church, but throughout the churches globally, where it's happening already, we're just saying we want more of the power of the Holy Spirit here. And so would you join with me in praying for that this year? So invite him in. Ask for him. Prepare your hearts for the next five weeks where you look at the gifts. Now do you want to do the spiritual gifts assessment? I thought so. Let's pray. Father, Fall, fall fresh to the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we thank you that you're trying in God. Your Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You're the Father who is sovereign over the affairs of men and women, who delights in us. How do we know that through the Spirit? And how do we know that we're loved because of Jesus Christ, who was consumed for us and yet not destroyed, who allowed the fire, the warmth of your provision, your protection, and your presence to fall fresh upon us. We pray for Pentecost. We know that, that in the new creation life, every day is Pentecost. Every day is an opportunity. Say, Holy Spirit, we trust that you are alive and well. May we experience more of the assurance of belonging to you. May we experience more of what it means to be beloved. Say, come Holy Spirit, may the wind blow. May we see the wind and say, God is doing something in my life. I cannot deny it. Come Holy Spirit. Fresh wind, fresh fire, fall upon City Church in 2024. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now we respond to God's word first through confession. And once a month, we, instead of confessing sin, we confess what we believe. And I think it's very appropriate even as 